You're very welcome to Late Lunch in Continental Ireland on this midweek Wednesday afternoon, June 2023, as I watch Helen Curran delivering another weather forecast that I just adore. Yes, sunshine, sunshine, sunshine. Isn't it simply fantastic? Oh, the heat, the heat yesterday. Oh, she was ferocious. I was just sitting out saying could be in Italy on holidays quite easily it's just beautiful here when you get weather like that long may it continue and I know there are people yearning for a drop of the moisture but sure she'll come eventually we know that anyway don't we yes it will indeed but uh, for the next couple of days or so it's looking good here as I just watched the chart as the weather forecast has been delivered welcome to the show this afternoon what are we talking about today hedgehogs on the show Bloomsday, we have a local expert on the man himself and it is Men's Health Awareness Week in Ireland and all over the world. Our doctor, Dr Kate McCann, is with us to talk to us boys. Yes, she's going to have a chat with us and just another interlude from the weather. I think we'll get some of that moisture. It looks like perhaps Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Not too much, but a little looking at what's going on there on the screen at Met Aaron. Anyway, we begin our show today reflecting on a wonderful, wonderful man because you did hear the news that Christy Dignam uh, passed away uh, yesterday. It was announced by his family. And I want to say before I welcome my first guest to the show, I remember many moons ago, Christy and Aslan joined me here on Late Lunch. The desk isn't in the studio anymore, but on the desk that was here, after they went, I think it was the next day we came in, and guess what was on the desk? Christy was here, written in permanent marking you couldn't get it off the desk Christy was here wasn't he a devil he was a devil McHare he really really was anyway a man who knew him well a neighbour of his and a good friend of ours on late lunch who now lives in Navin Dave Hewitt welcome back to the show Jerry, how you doing? Uh, thanks for having me on again. Uh, sorry to be on in the in the circumstances yeah. uh, and not giving your viewers or your listeners uh, holiday breaks in Ireland. But uh, look, as I said, uh, it's a pleasure to, to speak to you guys today about Christy. He was a he was a rascal, as you said, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, an absolute trojan. Uh, the work that he did, unknown to a lot of people out there, the work that he did for charities, for one-off, if, you know, if some child was sick and they wanted, a, you know, an operation for the child, you know, he, he did it. There was, mm. there was no press around. There was no one else around, only the, you know, the, the, the people that were in the room at the time. This, he did this all the time, Jerry. It wasn't just a one-off, uh, yeah. you know, it, it was Trojan work. And uh, look, you know, he 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 got down uh, rightly so as as, a, as an Irish rock and roll legend. You know, he certainly will. And you were very close to him because you were neighbours in Finglas. Your older brother was probably one of his best friends, but you knew him so well as well, and your families uh, knew each other. Did he ever? This is something I want to ask. You know, as his fame, you know, gathered pace and they became you know huge stars. Did he change at all? Not, not a bit, not a bit, Jerry. Uh, look, my, my, my older brother, uh, my Mick uh, himself, up to you know, up to this very day, uh, were, were the best of friends. In fact, uh, if, if you Google, uh, they did a, a brilliant carpool karaoke where they drive around in, in Mick's van and uh, they'd sing some Aslan songs and indeed some of Christie's new album, uh, his solo album there from last year, "The Man Who Stayed Alive," aptly uh, named. 
but uh, uh, he, he, he was just a, a character. But he didn't change at all. Uh, I, I would like, you know, I, I knew Christy as I said. I'd be a good watch, eleven years younger than Christy. But growing up, we we would have known him well. We started off listening to Aslan. Uh, went to all the Aslan gigs to my, you know, teens, twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, and uh, you know the, the way I treated Aslan and Christie was, you know, not because I knew Christie. The band were brilliant. Uh, Christie was a genius. The songs that they have, like you, you know, a lot of people who wouldn't know Aslan as such would know that this is and the Crazy World. You know, to be honest with you, Crazy World wouldn't even make my top ten of Aslan songs. Wow. Uh, this is would be in there. Some of the songs were were brilliant. But Christy, I, I I'd never ring Christy up and say, you know, can I have a free ticket for the gig? I was, you know, delighted to be able to pay to support these lads and what they were doing. Um, you know, I, I you know, I never asked for a backstage pass or anything. I was a you know a fan first and foremost, and it just it was coincidental that I I, I knew Christy growing up. Uh, and 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 that's the way I I wanted it, you know, through through all my uh, through all my life, uh, you know, the, the once I did pick the phone up for him, I said, Christy, I'm involved with a football club uh, up here in Navan, Balrat FC. Uh, would you, you you and Joe be able to do a gig for us? It turned out so well the first gig they did it three years in a row. Oh, uh, we, nice. we we had it in the Ardbine and Swan Lane in the Ardbine the first two years, and we had it in um, the Solstice uh, the third year. And that's the type of guy he was. It's just, it was incredible. It didn't change him in the slightest mm. whatsoever. Mm. Uh, and that, that's unique. Uh, like we know, as I said, the good rivalry and good friend of uh, his uh, in latter years, Bono. Uh, you know, you, you can see Bono from where he was years ago. And now, yeah, he has changed. But Christie, absolutely. It's the same guy as he was many, many years ago. Really, uh, and you really mentioned was, you, you know? mentioned there that he he helped so many people. And ironically, last week we had the Barretts, Ian and Mary, in here with us talking about the three boys who live with EDS, a very challenging condition. Brandon, Callum, and Keen. Yeah. Christy, actually, is this true? He turned down the chance to sing with you two to do a charity fundraiser for the boys. One hundred percent true, and people wouldn't believe that he turned it down for that reason because no one else would have. 100% true. He did turn it down. They asked him to do the charity gig for the three boys. Uh, he said he would do it. Uh, after that, I don't know whether it was weeks, months, days, whatever, after that, he was uh, asked would they support uh, U2 in their stadium gig. Uh, and of course, they you know they, they said yes. Mm. But when the date, uh, when they noticed the date, uh, they said no. Well, you know, we we can't do it now. First of all, you think of that uh, to, to to get to play uh, with you two in front of eighty to hundred thousand people, whatever mm-hmm. it was. The financial gain of that also would have been huge. But no, he had promised this woman that he he'd, he'd do this gig and kept true to his word. And that's unheard of. You're not going to hear of that no. of, of anybody uh, in the, the Irish music industry. So you. I think I, I feel as I said. I know I'm a big fan and. I'm probably biased, but you know, Chris, Christie had this magnetism with with his fans. He was very, very approachable. Uh, you, you wouldn't see him running down Grafton Street chased by twenty, thirty people. No, because he'd, he'd stop and he'd talk to people. He'd get the picture taken with him. He'd wave at them. Uh, it just, it, he was just. I don't know. He's just. You could say he was. He was one of us. You know, mm. what I mean? he was one of us. Mm. He wasn't aloof. 
Uh, he's stocked for pictures. You see on social media now with everybody paying the tributes. Everyone has their, you know, their Christie stories. I'm only one of very, very small few people that has, has Christie stories. Everyone has them. The, 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 the guy, as far as I'm concerned, will, will and should live on uh, for, for many years to come. And in fact, I know what it, one of his, his wishes as he was on his deathbed was his daughter, Kira, who's a very, very talented musician and singer, uh, was to continue the legacy. And uh, she has released, uh, before he died, uh, an Aslan um, single uh, this time, which is, you know, and, and you know, because I love Christy so much, I'm going to, you know, now fully support uh, Kira. I think a lot of fans will will do as well, but not only because of who she is. She's actually very, very talented as well, you know. Mm, yeah. Now, a couple of things about him that people might not know. He did a great impression of the Fonz. Oh, shit. <laughs> memories from years ago I yeah. remember like as I said I'd be good 11 years younger than, than Christy but you know we, because we, we lived so close to each other and the, their family were a similar size to ours and you know we all had pals in the Dignam and Hewitt family um, Christy was a very very funny guy uh, not, not many people would realise but genuinely he was very very funny mm. and one of my earliest memories was of Christy was at the time in, in the 80s uh, Arthur Fondarelli of the Fonz uh, the programme on TV very, Happy very Days uh, mm. Happy Days it was called yeah uh, Henry Winkler I think was the, was That's the right. character of yeah. but uh, Christy used to do the odd impression of the Fonz you know mm. and uh, he'd, he'd have us all in stitches laughing you know Oh no, he had that uh, twist in him The and other, I, the other thing the story is about, sorry, go, on, go, ahead, go on, yeah. no, you go ahead go on The story about, about uh, my brother Mick would be good friends with his and in Finglas there was uh, two schools at the time there was Patrician College Finglas and there was Clarge uh, Own, which is the technical school and my brother Mick went to the technical school Clarge Own. Christy went to Patrician and uh, sure, as my mum used to say my brother used to say they are sick as thieves um, sure, they were in the class one day and the, the windows were open and uh, Mick was in the class and he knew they had a plan, obviously. And uh, Christy just jumped in the window and uh, participated in the class without the teacher even knowing. So that, you know, that, that was just typical. And uh, the, the brilliant thing about that is, like, that, that, that's going back, like, 50 years. Mm. And, you know, to this day, himself and the, the brother Mick are, are, are the best of buddies. And I know we supported him over the last, couple of years in his in his, his tough yes. times you know which oh, was yeah. which was great friendship is everything as they say Jerry you oh, know absolutely everything the other thing he sang at your wedding and sadly you lost a brother at a very young age he was only 19 and That's Christy right, was yeah. there as well on that day and sang also I didn't realise he was classically trained yes uh, I think the the, 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 the the range was Bel Canto I think it's called yeah um, I can, yeah, but my, I, I, the brother, who was also a musician, very talented musician, he would have been probably five years younger than Christy, but they used to get together in an airhouse or the Digman's house across the road, big group of lads, and they'd be strumming the guitar and, you know, jamming and doing all sorts of things. But my, my brother uh, died of acute, acute leukaemia. Uh, he, you know, before he was diagnosed and dead, like you're talking three days, you know, uh, so it was a huge shock. Uh, but Christy, uh, I would have been 13 at the time, so Christy sang, uh, you know, uh, uh, Ave Maria at the funeral. I remember I was only 13, but I remember that day just being, you know, totally overwhelmed with the huge crowd that was there for a young guy. But Christy singing. Um, 
of a Maria was just was just special. And you know, he, he also sang at my my mother's funeral, and. It's just it, it, that Ave Maria just just gets me now. Obviously, the, mm. the sentimental value of it, you know. Uh, but in happier times, uh, happier times for me, but not for for Christian Aslan. He did sing at my wedding. I got married in July nineteen ninety five, and I'd ask Christmas Christy to surprise my wife Lisa. Would he be able to sing at the wedding? And he says, "What days?" And I told him the days in July. And he said, "Ah, well, unfortunately, we're away. Uh, we're gigging in the states. We're going to, to to try and break the states. Blah blah blah." So that was that. And the morning of the wedding, uh, we didn't have a phone at the time. And Mr. Dignan came over and said, David, Christopher's on the phone for you. And I said, Jeez, he must be ringing from the States, wishing me the best of luck. And he sounded awful. And he said, what time is your wedding at? I said, two o'clock. That's where it is. Why is that? And he said, uh, look, long story short, but I'll be there. I'll sing at the wedding. And he sang at the, in the church and he came later. And he sang a few songs at at the thing. But apparently what happened was he was on the Late Late Show a week before or so with Gay Bourne and he was telling people about, you know, he's the way he's so open and honest. And he was telling about his battle with drugs. But uh, when he got to Shannon, the uh, the customs of Shannon or whatever, they they, they looked at his ease and uh, the guy had seen the programme, apparently. And he said, no, you never said anything about drugs and that. And they, they didn't get in. He wouldn't no. let him fly to the States, so you no. had him at your wedding to sing the church and sing at the reception too. Yeah, oh. it was brilliant. But again, being a massive fan, I would yeah. prefer them to, to, to I know. break the stage. I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm saying, like, Aslan had, they had so many uh, uh, pitfalls put, put up against them, and they, they overcame a lot of, you know, uh, issues and problems yes. and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, they 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 made it. Uh, they 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 weren't super uh, superstars worldwide, but they made it here. And I remember listening to a, an interview that Christie did, and he said, "You know what?" He said, "We're we're we're uh, we're we're happy. We're 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 at the level we want to be at, and there's no pressure." He said, "Look at the pressure Bono's under. Yes, and look at the the, the the amount of abuse that mm. he gets mm. just for being a massive massive superstar." Yeah. So as I said. If you if you listen to all you know the Aslan songs and indeed Christie's um, solo album that he he wrote about his illness, uh, the man who stayed alive, the the, the, the tunes that the cracking cracking tunes. Well, uh, and you, you'll only listen to them if you're yes, a fan. Yes. But as I said, if people go out there and listen to, to Christie's music, uh, I know it's a terrible time to say it now that he, he he's gone. But yeah. like as I said, he deserves that. Uh, you know. Yeah, and there will tribute. be a revival, Dave, at this stage. Now I know when their first single came out, you guys were all standing round the record player in disbelief that Christie and the boys were immortalised on vinyl, and by God, did it go on from there? Introduce it. We're going to play it now. What was the song? The song was the first single, and it's classic, and it'll stay on forever. Uh, this is. Well, look at. We're going to listen to it now, Dave Hewitt. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jerry. Take care.
Bloomsday is on Friday and I mentioned there before news and weather at two that each year it seems to grow and gather momentum and it's certainly moving out from its heartland of Dublin. I'm delighted to welcome to Late Lunch today a man from Leighton in County Mead and he knows so much about James Joyce. Tony Weldon, it's great to have you with me in studio today. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks for joining me. Just tell our listeners first, your interest in Joyce. Well, before w- I start, Jerry, I yeah. don't want I want you to know I'm no scholar. No, we know that. Okay, right. But you have a huge interest in this man. Where did that come from? Well, um, back around 2002, I was picked out to play a part of a, a film called Shem to Penman Sings. Uh, this was filmed down in Cork. Um, I, I played him in his elderly life. There was four other Joyce's. There was Louis, Louis Leroux and then there was Hugh O'Connor. And it was, it's all a bit of fun. But it brings into play the way he felt after when Lucy had to be institutionalised. That had a huge effect on Joyce. That was his daughter? That was his daughter, yeah. She had schizophrenia. OK. Um, if you want me to talk about her for just for a minute, just because... Now, Lucy... There was two children. There was Giorgio and Lucia. They were living in Trieste in Italy. Um, Lucia was an extraordinarily good-looking girl, an exotic dancer. She studied under Isadora Duncan at the time. She was also a graphic writer and she did a book on graphics, etc., etc. She performed throughout Europe, was very, very successful. In fact, she was so successful at one stage, Jim was... (laughs) A bit jealous her, you know. Mm. And if the phone rang, he said, there's only one artist here and plonk, phone went down. <laughs> the phone down. Now, now, Lucia got her own back on him. She cut the flex of the phone. <laughs> but Lucia um, was in love with her father. You could say there was bits and pieces that there may have been an incestuous relationship. Never, that was never. But at one stage during her, when she was in her early 20s, she did go away for a week to do some for some gynecology stuff mm. gynecology stuff there was no hints or nothing about that Lucia was very jealous of her mother and at one stage she bet the crap out of Nora she set fire to her bedroom Giorgio the son convinced James that Nora that Lucia had to be put away it was only then that the schizophrenia was discovered. Okay. And she then was put away. And, oh, she was, yeah. yeah and spent a, a great the part rest of her life. The rest of her life there. What about the son? What was he like? Well, Giorgio was very like the father. He tried to emulate his dad in lots of ways. He wrote, he was successful enough at writing. He had a lovely voice. He married a divorcee, wealthy American, went off to America. That lasted 10 years. But his second marriage worked very nice for him. I actually met his son outside the Bailey in, ni- in t- n- 2002. They were lovely people. Lovely, yeah. lovely people. Yeah. And his wife reminded me of Lucia. Their lips were painted. She was full of affectation. Lovely people. Yes. So the family, does the family line continue to today? Are the living relatives still of Joyce? Well, there are, but um, there are, but they've sort of gone into oblivion because once the 75-year uh, was lifted on the family, yes, they seemed to disappear because they held onto the ropes prior to that. Okay. And very little was done about Joyce up to then. Mm. Um, 
you know, we have we have um, Bloom say up in Dublin. You have David Norris pontificating, sweating from the mouth, talking about urine from kidneys and all sort of crap. You know, but like I I, I felt during the um, COVID, a lot of the neighbours I knew they were older than us, they were suffering, and so for the crack. I just did this in the garden mm. and it has grown to this. Yes, because you have an event coming up on Friday in Gilness, the Cottage Inn in Late Town, celebrating Bloomsday. And I know you told me last year that this began in your garden, but come back to the man himself. I want to talk about him. Yeah, go on. OK, so he, he was born in Dublin and he went to school, Clongos, O'Connell School, Belvedere and then UCD. So he's a well-educated guy. What were his family circumstances? Did he come from a big family? Were they well-to-do? Well... John Joyce was from a very wealthy family from Cork. His father? His dad. They were importers of fine goods. John was born to a a couple who were elderly and he was spoiled rotten. Mm. He went, he studied in UCD in Dublin, did medicine for a year. He fecked off home. He was very, very lazy. Now, I think there was the time when John got used to the good way of life. Mm. He would have been, he would have had a beautiful apartment and there was plenty of money in his pockets. So he went home to work in the business and he was visiting a family in Longford called Murphy. They were importers of fine wine, etc. And there's where he met Mary, Mary Murphy. And it was a love match. They got married. Now, Mary's father didn't like him at all. Mm. But nevertheless, they got married. But here's Here's something. They got married and John moved to Dublin. Now, he left a business in Cork, 10 or 12 properties, so the bells would be ringing as well as loud as you could. They moved to live in Brighton Square in um, Ratgar. He got a very good job with the county council. He was collecting rates and water money for rent and rates. And now this brought him to all aspects of Dublin. He, Montgomery Street, it was full of four houses mm. and they were paying rent to the corporation and God knows what else they paid in, in many different ways. Mm. Um, and they had how many children? They had nine survived. They, she had 14 pregnancies. 14 pregnancies. In fact, she was pregnant through a period of nearly 21 years. Non-stop, continuous, well, more was, or less. There was a couple of years in between yeah. James and Stan. Where did James come in in the nine? He was the first. The first. So he was the oldest of them. Now look at come back come back to this fella and 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 is when when he qualified and he was educated and that off he headed to Europe. He, did he meet his wife um um in Ireland and then go abroad with her? Did they go together? No. no? In, initially when he when he finished his studies with UCD he had done languages in college. He was affluent in languages and he went off to France to study medicine. Now it wasn't as easy as he thought because anyone would know that when you're talking to the to the natural speaker, they talk a lot different than mm, we do. Mm. He was only there a short time when a telegram arrived. Jim, come home. Your mother is very ill. She's not going to live. Jim's mother got cancer and she died after a very short visit. Now, she knew Jim had given up religion. He'd packed that in when he was 15 or 16. He had his, he had his eyeballs up to his eyeballs in, in Clongos and Belvedere. Yes. So he, he just gave up that. Anyway, he didn't go to confession. Um, it was during that time 
when he was rambling around Dublin, now he did a lot of rambling. Mm. You have to say that Jim wrote his books as he rambled around Dublin. He took down the notes of buildings, shops, people and the way they spoke. And all his books were in his head before he even started writing. Writing them. What about Nora Barnacle? Well, Where Nora, did he meet her? Nora Barnacle. Nora Barnacle was a very interesting girl. She was born in, in Galway. Um, her mum and dad, uh, her mum was a, a seamstress, her father was a baker. Now, the father was kicked out after, by the time Nora was three, and she went to live with her granny. Not for only 300 yards up the road. Now, that wasn't unusual at the time. Mm. Nora was very well looked after by the granny. She went to school with the nuns. The, the granny taught her how to make beds and, and stuff like that. Now, we get her into a very simple job. There was an uncle at home uh, in the house as well and he was a f- bloody bully. Nora, um, Nora's brother used to call and he'd, he'd bring her out and she had three boyfriends during that time. Now she was 14 and then this had got up to 16. Her first boyfriend died of um, TB or one of those things. The second boyfriend, his name was Fury. Now his name comes up in the play The Dead. Th- that really hurt her heart. Then the third boyfriend was a friend of the brother. He was a Protestant. Now, there was nothing in toward. Now, Nora was a very naive young lady. Now, in fairness, the equipment arrived early, if you know what I mean. And she looked older than she was. But the, the uncle heard, um, found out that she was seeing um, a Protestant and he gave her a thrashing. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. he was. So that was over. When did she meet Joyce? What age was well, she? Well, she packed a, she packed her bag at that stage and when she went up to Dublin she got a mm. job in a small hotel down at bottom of Nassau Street she would have been probably 16 or 17 and he met her then well they were out for a walk Jim was rambling and Nora came out after her job she was going for a ramble around the city and she came up Nassau Street and Jim was going down it and it was a lovely evening and the sun hit Nora's hair she was absolutely she was a stunning looking girl mm. she had lovely auburn hair very attractive she had a sort of a a European look over because a lot of women in Galway had this. They spoke, they stood to talk, they chatted and they went off. Whatever. And as Nora said in her book, they found out about each other in many different ways and that evening. We won't go down that road, but um, a date was made. Nora never turned up. Jim was absolutely gobsmacked because he thought he had this girl yes. after. But Nora was no, Nora wasn't no pushover. So Jim knew where she worked, wrote her a letter for nearly two weeks before Nora said, right, we'll meet. So they met and after that, they um, they were inseparable. They became an item. I suppose there are, there are aspects of this man that people don't realise. But look, let's talk Ulysses for a moment because Ulysses, what took him 10, 12 years to write, published 1922 only in France because it was regarded as obscene in uh, the UK, America, etc. I can only imagine what it would be regarded as in Ireland. What do you make of Ulysses? Well, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be good enough to know how to talk about Ulysses. It's a difficult book to read. And the more you read it, the more difficult it gets. So I think if you have it at home, don't read it page per page. Just dip in and out of it. Mm. Pick the bits that you like and go over them again. You know, there's a great bit in it about um, when he was down at Sandy Cove in Martella Towers with with some of his writer friends. Um, 
there was a man called St. John Gogarty. He used to rent a property down there for three months of the year. And Joyce would spend nearly every week he'd be down there for two or three days and they would be talking books because Gogarty had written books. He was a surgeon. He was very well off. The house was always full of food and booze and there was always good crack. Uh, one scene to tell, you know, um, you know, you'll say the day, the official day, July, what was it, June 16th. Mm. It's eight o'clock in Mar- Martella Tower. Bucks Mulligan gets up, he starts to shave. The hand isn't too steady and he nips the face a bit and he puts a bit of a paper stuck to it. Jim hears the pot walloping and he gets up as well. Um, Mulligan, after shaving, he starts to fry the breakfast. Now, he had a pan as big as a dustbin lid. (laughs) This was full with everything you could think of, you you know, including the kidneys, which Joyce probably didn't like, but... David Norris enjoy talking about <laughs> I like a kid to myself oh Jesus I, I don't I, know oh yeah I love them I but love them. it was that day um, that was the day that um, James decided that he'd asked Nora now the word he used was propose he said he thought he'd pr- he would propose to Nora that she'd come with him to Paris yes or to rest wherever yeah so when he was interested he started writing the book now his eyesight was failing it was awful. Now, Lucia used to write for him. He'd talk to her and he'd write mm, it down. Mm. Um, he had a lot of health problems. Did that come from the drinking? He drank a lot. Well, he... He drank every day. He drank every day. But you have to say, Jerry, it was mostly white wine, which would only, in those days, would only have been 10%. Mm. But he didn't have... A, he hadn't got a good foundation in his stomach. Mm. He didn't eat well. Yes. You know, he... After his classes, he would gather at a restaurant... He would gather all his students around him. Mm. He was teaching them after class. He got money that way because mm. Berlitz didn't pay him that much. No, because I saw that through his life he struggled financially. There was never a time he was flush. Well, you see, the thing is, Jerry, you have to look at Joyce and the way he w- lived. He was a scrounger. Mm. He scrounged all his life. No, he never borrowed because he never gave anything back. But when he had it... <laughs> He blew it. <laughs> yes. And God help poor Nora. If there was a few quid going, he blew it at the restaurant. But then mm. he was only paying back the guys who were with him what they had already done for him. Yes. So, you know... Now, he could sing too. He was oh, a lovely singer, oh yeah, wasn't you he? You better believe it, yeah. Um, he learned how to sing and read the music when he was in, in Belvedere. He, um, he used to go to the whorehouses. He had met a prostitute. And he fell in love with her and they had an affair for about two years. James would go there on weekends. He spent three or four days there entertaining all the the hobnobs from London. They'd all gone out of Dublin, left their properties. Somebody else was looking after them. So James was there. He would sing, recite, tell stories. And when the night was over, himself and Madeleine would get together. And this went on for years. And did Nora tolerate this? No, Nora wasn't there at that stage. She was gone. No, no, she hadn't come on the scene. At I time. see. All right, that was before that. Yeah. That's you know now, what I mean. No, when when back to the singing. James knew John McCormick. John McCormick said, "James, look, Jim, I'm not competing in the Fesh this year. I won it last year. You have a good chance of winning it." Joyce got a song ready. The song went down very well. The second part of the contest was to read the music. Mm. James refused. Now, there's a big 
possibly asked, why did he refuse? Now, could he read the music? Oh, he could. Yeah. Now, the reason being was this. If you were from a, a background that was of a poor nature, you wouldn't ha- you could hardly read a book, never mm. mind. Mm. So he refused to read the music. He was he got second prize. He gave the medal to his granny. Michael Statley has this now down in Cork. So he could have won the fish had he read the music. He could have read yes. if he, he oh, was that good. Oh no, he was better than good. He sang all around Dublin, he got paid. Um he um when he was down in France, in Paris in particular, a lady used to come a lady called Dula Murphy, whose husband was an ambassador, and she was a wonderful singer. She learned her singing from the travellers who used to camp on the father's land. They were very nice people. Mm. Um, Dealer was doing a concert in Paris. Jim had a free pass for the theatre as well as the cinema. And he used to go there. And she knew Jim. And he, he inv- Dealer invited him up to sing. And they duetted Every night. He was that good because oh, no, she he was, was a renowned singer. No, Jerry, singer he was right? better Brilliant. than good. He could have been the Carreras of today. There you go. When you, well, that, that is some accolade yeah. to uh, Well, the thing is, Jerry, you have to look at it this way. Nora said, if he had stuck to singing, life would have been a lot easier. <laughs> you know, that's the reality. <laughs> look, he lived all over. You know, he lived in Poland, Croatia, Trieste in Italy for quite a number of years. Zurich, back to Trieste, Paris, and then Zurich where he died. The man, you know, he lived in well, so well, many parts of the world. if you look at the father and the mother, they moved. They were on the move constantly. Um, in most cases, he was one step ahead of the rent collector. Mm. Um, you know, when John lost his job at the corporation, the money dwindled very quickly. Mm. Now, John made a huge mistake. Jim gave him forty pounds that he'd he'd earned from his writing. Gave him forty quid, which was a some amount of money, and it was. And John sold half of his pension to buy a house which he bought in Cabra. Um, that was a big mistake, because that we hardly could live on what he had without half of it. Yes, he John had a serious drink problem at this stage. Mm. Mm. So those financial issues ebbed and flowed through, you know, the father, the mother, onto him and that as well. Anyway, look, we've scratched the surface here to d- today about him. Um, Dubliners, portrait of an artist as a young man, you put those ahead of Ulysses well, in terms of readability. and Yeah, I wouldn't put them ahead, but for anybody who wants to get into Joyce, yes. start there. With those. And don't get overly... Mm. empowered by the writing. And here's the other thing I said. You are part of a movement around the country to bring Joyce to the proletariat around this country of ours because it was always looked as looked on as a Dublin thing and a particular part of Dublin. Well, yes. Well, I, I always went... Well, when I retired in particular, I went to Dublin to Joyce Day. Yes. Every every year. And we dressed up and we, we met loads of people. We met Norris and John Sheehan and people like that. But the Abbey crowd were full of us. The pomposity, the bullshit they went out outside Bailey's, you know, and nobody gave a shit what they were saying. Excuse the language. Please. Well, I mean, Excuse the, the thing is, that's the way Joyce would have said it. I know, I know, Don't I know, you? I know. Sorry, <laughs> you're, you're, you're not in Joyce's era today. Well, the we thing is, it's very easy to get carried away. I know, I know, and I know it is the language. But what I'm getting at is that you, are, which you're starting in your garden during lockdown, and uh, it's grown since uh, we, we spoke about it briefly on the phone last year. But this year again at the Cottage Inn, Gillen's in Laytown, one thirty this Friday. Yeah. The event is here for this region uh, to celebrate Bloomsday. Can anyone go along? 
Well, yes, you're you're allowed. Of course, you are. Anybody? Uh, well, not anybody. I mean, you have to be. You have to come dressed accordingly. You have to okay. be part of the people around you. And you have to be able to sit down and listen. And you have to listen to all the bull that's going to happen. <laughs> and if you have a bit of stuff to give out, we want to hear that as well. Okay. Now, Jimmy told me he's, he's doing a very special dinner on the day. He'll have plenty of Prosecco on ice. Okay. Yeah. The sandwiches will be there and the blue cheese will come at four o'clock. Folks, Ooh la la, dress you know? up and go and enjoy something special. Dress for the occasion and a contribution would be very it most would be welcome. It would be very welcome. Because yes, there's food and, and drink and everything going Jerry on. Jerry is good weather. Yes. That, oh, listen, you're going to have it on Friday. You certainly are. It's been a wonderful time talking to you I have to say on the show this afternoon you're fantastic anyway Cottage Inn one thirty this Friday dress up go and enjoy but for the moment happy Blooms Day to you Tony Weldon and everybody else thank you for joining me it's a pleasure I love that young lady. Her name is Jazzy. She's Irish and that's her new one called Giving Me on Your Late Lunch this afternoon. Watch this space. That young woman is going places. It's Men's Health Week and this year's theme is the picture of health and standing by patiently is one of our valued regulars, our doc on late lunch, Dr. Kate McCann. Hello again. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. First off, I want to ask you this. Why do we actually need a men's health week, Kate? Yeah, I know. I think um, I, I think sometimes people look at that and they're like, oh, you know, because we, we do focus a lot, I think, and a lot of our, we're very prominent sometimes on different aspects of women's health um, and for very good reasons. Um, and then well, the statistics are really that, and, and to put it very, very simply, um, Irish men have a shorter life expectancy than Irish women. Oh, so. um, and they have, and they tend to have a higher burden of chronic disease. Okay, so uh, the girls live longer, and uh, one aspect of this, and a significant aspect of this, is our health. And I, I do have to say, and I, I'm a man, of course, myself. We're is or is this too much of a generalization? A lot of men just don't pay attention to, to their health; they just get on with it. Is that fair? No, statistically, we know that that's actually not that they don't necessarily don't pay attention to their health, but they do delay okay. seeking treatment or getting something checked out. They, they lay lag a little bit behind women. Again, it's a generalization, but we do know statistically men are more likely to delay seeking care if something's not quite right. Now, I have friends. I want to put this to you. I'm in my early 60s and I have friends around about the same age and you will hear them saying, you know what, I've never been to the doc. Now, I can never say that because I have a, a huge file with my doc. I have to be honest about it. I'm there if I, I'm worried about anything. But, you know, when people say that to you, is that a concern to you uh, as somebody who's practising as a doctor? If you hear that, oh, I haven't been for years, I'm fine. Absolutely. So sometimes I'll see people in a, in a kind of an urgent setting or emergency setting and I ask about their GP and they say, there are patients who tell me, um, I had one, he retired 10 years ago and I haven't gotten a new one since, or I know him, I think, I don't, can't remember his name, or patients who moved and never re-registered, but they don't actually have a GP. And the reason for that is if you're not checking in over, you know, again, your 20s maybe is not as important for many people, but definitely statistically by the time men are getting in their 50s, you know, we should be checking in because things like high cholesterol and blood pressure are silent. 
And these are very important points you're making there. So really, when you go, what are you saying? We go into your 40s, 50s, 60s, especially. Should you have an annual visit booked with your uh, GP, even if you're feeling well? I'd say so. I think if you're a man of 50 okay, and you haven't seen your GP in so long, you can't remember what he or she looks like. It's probably a good idea to make an appointment. Um, you know, and then some people will ne- will be diagnosed with something that needs um, a checkup more more often than one year. Or some GPs might say, "Look, they're happy enough to stretch that out to eighteen months. They know you." But I, I think it's it's a good idea to just if you don't have that relationship, if you don't know who your GP is, and you're a man in your forties or fifties, definitely in your sixties, you that's that's one thing to to do this week. You know, and we know there's a GP shortage and we know it's not always easy to get into the GP or even to find a new GP. So it's not it's not a small task sometimes. Boys, are you listening? I'm joining with Kate here to say this. If you are 50 or over and you haven't seen your GP in a while, just do that for us this week, will you? Go and make the appointment, even if you haven't, if you have to wait, even if it takes time to get on board with a practice, make that uh, a promise this week in Men's Health Week. You mentioned the silent stuff there and uh, you alluded to some of the things I think of like the blood pressure, high cholesterol, uh, the prostate, things like that. You, you don't really get much of a sign there till it's an emergency. No, and I think almost anything that has a screening program. So we talk about bowel screening or, say, retinal screening for diabetes. So what we're doing when we're doing things like screening or checking are things that we want to catch early before they have a symptom. Um, the earlier you catch something or prevent something, you know, it's way better than than tackling problems that arise down the line. Reluctant as well, perhaps, or embarrassed to talk about our bodily functions. You know, we wee, we poo, we go to the loo, things like that. And sometimes things like that change with men. And rather than saying anything to annoy anyone in the family or get concerned going, they put up and shut up. That's the wrong tack altogether. Yeah, I, I think it is. There is a sense of um, sometimes, especially in older generations, not wanting to talk to the doctor, especially about, um, for men, about the, you know, the things that change as they get older with, especially with going to going to the toilet, whether it's a change in the bowels or a change in how frequently they're going to the toilet or a change in their stream when they're passing urine in the toilet um, or even problems in the bedroom. They don't want to talk about their GP, but it's, you know, their GP has, has definitely seen it and heard it all before. Yeah, that's the thing. There's no need to be embarrassed about anything. Lumps and bumps anywhere on the body, things like that, testicle area as well. You need to really just um, take action immediately there, don't you? Yeah, you do. So if there's something that's changed in 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 the, in the testicles, then you definitely should be making an appointment with the GP sooner rather than later. Um, it's not necessarily where everything will be bad and not necessarily all be cancer and um, but we definitely want to 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 know what's going on and the sooner you get it checked out i mean it's good for your mental health when you put it off you put it off you're, it's just sitting in the back of your mind causing a bit of stress anyway mm. mental health let's talk about that for a moment because men and again i'm probably generalizing here and i'm disrespectful to a lot bottle things up don't really talk like the girls do you know what i'm saying and maybe struggling in an aspect of their lives but there's no need to 
No, um, I, we do know that men have high rates of, of um, anxiety and depression. We know that they are slightly less likely statistically than women sometimes to reach out for help. And one of the markers of this is that we know that unfortunately, the rate of suicide in Ireland is predominantly among among men. Um, so, I mean, there are supports out there and there's wonderful supports out there. And, and, and if you don't know where else to start, again, always start with your GP is a great place to start. For sure. Now, as men move on in age, um, a lot of men would partake in sport and be active. But then as the years go on, they become less active. The weight goes on, of course, exposing us to all those things we've talking, talked about, in, including diabetes too. Don't exercise much. Maybe drink a little more than they should. Those things need to be, uh, you know, attended to, don't they? If the weight is piling on, if the drinking is getting out of hand, we talked about alcohol here before ourselves. Aspects like that really need to be tackled. They do. Um, And it can be overwhelming. There are people who sometimes they've just gotten into some habits or gotten out of good habits. And it seems overwhelming to get back into those good habits. Um, so we always say start small. And that's literally what the, the theme of this this week's uh, men's health has been is just take these small actions too small. So if, you know, it, it might be if you've become inactive, like a third of people in Ireland are relatively inactive, then just adding a 10 minute walk on your lunch a couple of times a week. That's all you need to do to start moving. Build on it. Don't have to go from, you know, when we talk about, we hear about couch to 5K programs, you don't have to go to a couch to 5K in one day. And if all you're ready to do is add, you know, a couple walks a week, that's, that's something. And you can build on that later. We had Patrick and Sonia McKay with us on the show this week and they lost stones. I mean, huge amounts of weight um, uh, through Slimming World. But they were making the point to me that all they did really was adjust and it was it came down to food, you know, and what they were eating. They adjusted, you know, their intake of certain foods. They haven't denied themselves or anything. But the difference that that made, made to them, it, it, anyone can do it. Yeah, I, I think I, I do want to put in context that um, not everybody can lose huge amounts of weight on their own. Mm. Some people do have, uh, you know, we've talked here before about the medical diagnosis yes. of obesity. Yes. And many patients may need doctor on board. So, you know, I, I know sometimes we, but for some people, yes, they can, they, they can definitely ma- help maintain a healthy weight. Um, definitely by being more active and, and just looking after their diet. Yes, and you're right to say it. There are exceptions. Of course, there are people who have to go a different route altogether. But in general terms, a lot of people can control this themselves. You know, what they eat, adding in a bit more exercise. Now, back to the old um, smoking game. Trash the ashes, the message always, isn't it? Smoking is a no-no. Yeah, I mean, the, the evidence is out there. We know that. Um, I think there isn't, a, there isn't a smoker out there who doesn't know it's not great for their health. Um, it, but we know it's, it's highly addictive. We know quitting's hard. However, there are supports out there. And, you know, we do know the statistics that we, that, um, that we can get patients with proper supports. You know, they're five times more likely to, to quit with good supports um, and a structured approach. Um, and the nicotine replacement treatment um, is now available free um, if, through the, uh, G, your GP or, your H, or an HSC stop smoking advisor. Come back to the alcohol. Remind me again, what is the sensible limit for a male in terms of consumption of alcohol over a week? Well, we basically want to say that your your maximum would be 17 units 
um, uh, a week. And when we break that down, most, you know, I usually try to remind people that a unit isn't a pint. So the most, most pints, um, depending on the percentage of alcohol, but most pints are around two units per pint. And we also want to say that many, many uh, men would say, look, I, I don't drink Monday through Friday. And then I go, you know, and then I go a bit mad on Saturdays. And, and binge unit, binge drinking is very much healthy, uh, but it's not healthy. The amount, the, the largest amount you be, should be having in one evening is six units. And if you tell a man they shouldn't be having over, say, um, you know, three pints in the evening, that sounds, just to many men, that would sound very restrictive. But that's really where the limits are for our health. So three is the ideal in, in an evening and in terms of a week, if you say 17 units, it's about eight points over the week. And as well as that, there's a, a strong recommendation for so many days alcohol free intertwined. Yeah, so two to three weeks alcohol free. Um, and then for if you have health risks, you know, your doctor may advise lower risk drinking. So lowering that again. Um, and again, if you find that you aren't able to quit drinking and that you're that there's a bit of dependence this is time to ask for help sooner rather than later in general terms then before we finish uh lots of messages there for for men today um but uh, there's lots of help as you say and the gp is a great uh point to start do you feel you know I generalise when I say about men, but do you feel the message is getting through? Do you feel Ireland is changing and more men are paying attention to this? Yeah, I think it's. I think people are more aware of their health. I think the. I think the conversation is out there, but I think at the individual level, um, and it applies to some women as well. And you know, there's there's a lot of reasons why someone is hesitant to go get. There's a reasons why people are hesitant um, to mm. engage with their GP, and there's reasons where some people, you know, are just not at that yeah. place where they're ready to look after their health, and that's okay. And if all you do is make a plan and say, "Look, it's not today, it's not this week," but you mark it on the calendar that you'll come back and visit it again yeah. end of the summer, that's equally a win for some people. Absolutely, mdoc.ie. That's e m d o c dot i e. Check this wonderful woman out. Until the next time, Dr. Kate McCann. Thank you so much for joining me again on the show. Thanks so much, Sherry. Have a great weekend. You too. Take care. Heading now with the fine young cannibals. She drives me crazy. There's another problem that men have as well. Talking about the health. Taking us up to top of the hour at three. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's the number three from this very week in the year of a Lord, 1978. And when I tell you that this song rose to number three in the UK charts, but it went no higher. That was it. This was it. Number three in the charts. But on the Billboard Hot 100, which is the American version of the chart this in this neck of the woods, it did make number one. It was a big number one in the States. Written by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. <laughs> you sort of get the feel for where we're going here. Yes, it's the Rolling Stones at number three in uh, June of 1978 with this one.
Yeah, the Rolling Stones is our number three in the charts this week in 1978 and a big hit for them indeed, but didn't make it to the number one spot on the uh, top 100 at that time. And uh, the Stones, well, they're still going, aren't they? Still going strong and minus one or two. But uh, there you go. They are one of the legendary rock and roll bands of all time. And I'll bring you my number two tomorrow. The, of course, the big number one on Friday from 1978 this week. Up next on the show, we love our wildlife on late lunch. We do, and we especially love hedgehogs. Do you know I have a hedgehog at home called Harry? Yes, I have. Harry the Hedgehog. And we all love him. We do, don't we, Ava? Anyway, we're talking hedgehogs next on Late Lunch. We love wildlife on Late Lunch. I'm sure you have that impression at this stage. But one creature more than most is mystical, magical, the hedgehog. Ah, the hedgehog. And we have one at home called Harry. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show. It's been a while. She uh, operates the Hogs Prickle Hedgehog Rescue. Bev Tross, good afternoon. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing really good and better for having you with me on the show this afternoon, may I say, Bev. Anyway, Bev, look, let's get straight to the point here about what you've been talking about. Cattle grids and hedgehogs don't really go, do they? No, I'm afraid cattle grids and most wildlife don't really go. Um, Last month I had five calls in one week about hedgehogs stuck in cattle grids. Now, two of them, unfortunately, didn't make it. One of them came here for rehab, and the other two were fine. They were okay, so we ma- we managed to get them out and just released them. Um, but I'm just... Calgrids can be my, my wee bit of a hot spot for me because at this time of the year, um, mama hogs are having their hoglets. Mm. So if they're not just giving birth, um, they're pregnant. Or I've got a mama here that gave birth four weeks ago when she was admitted. So her hoglets are now four weeks old. And that's the time when mama hedgehog would be taking the babies out on a wee wander just to show them how to catch their insects and that kind of thing. And if that wee family falls in a head, a cattle grid and nobody notices so I don't like to think about it no and I don't want you to continue there because the end is shocking so you know grids serve a purpose can you see a solution to this oh yeah absolutely and I know that cattle grids serve a purpose 100% Um, in my area there's a lot of houses have uh, cattle grids at the end of their drive going onto the road now we haven't had cattle up and down this road in about 15 years Mm. so you know they're they're really not needed and I think when people have them like that they just become in the background you kind of get just used to coming home and going out again but people don't check their cattle grids so they need to be checked in the morning and they need to be checked again at night time if you have to have one so the campaign that I'm trying to get out there at the moment is fill them in or fill them up Mm. you know a lot of cattle grids are really deep Um, there was one in Galway that they were trying to get a hedgehog out of and it was nearly four feet deep Mm. and I just can't. I don't. I don't know why they have to be that deep. Another one. Um, we tried to get the hedgehog out, and we couldn't do it because the poles had been cemented in, so there weren't any removable poles. So if the hedgehogs were a bit more shallower, they only need to be about thirty centimeters deep. Um, and if the poles were removable, that means that any hedgehogs falling down there wouldn't get squashed between the poles as we're trying to get them back up again. Um, they're quite 
you know, they're quite relaxed when they're out doing their own thing, doing hedgehog stuff at night and looking for food. And they're really not thinking about where they're going. Mm. So when they fall in and you find them, best thing to do is a stick and a sheet. So you can put the sheet down into the cattle grid onto the floor and then use a pole or a long stick to sort of really gently move the hedgehog onto that sheet. Um and then you can pull it, pull the sheet up and try and get the hedgehog between the poles. But unfortunately, when hedgehogs are um, threatened, they curl up into this spiky ball. Mm. So getting them between the poles can sometimes be a wee bit dangerous. And I've known people do it and then cause crush injuries yes. to the wee hedgehogs. So when you get to the top of the cattle grid, I usually say to people, if you could just drip a bit of water onto them, it doesn't need to be a lot of water, you're not going to drown them. But they don't like the feeling of the water on their back. So sometimes they will uncurl. And when they do that, you can quite quickly get them through the bars of the cattle grid. So well described, may I say. I was following you there and that is such precise instructions. But I just want to uh, endorse what you say. Fill them in or fill them up. They only need to be 30 centimetres deep. And you're right, there are grids in areas that are no longer needed or necessary. So fill those in and help the hedgehogs and check them. That's a point you make. You should check if the grid is there and active. Please do check it to see are any little uh, prickly fellas down there yeah, and can't get out sure. because as you said if a mama goes missing at this time of the year as well uh, when oh. she has young it's disastrous oh it's absolutely disastrous mm. but if you can't do any of that I mean at least put in an escape ramp some of the cattle grids in the UK are now being made with a metal escape ramp in it right so it's not not just for hedgehogs I mean fox cubs will fall down yeah. there stoats will fall down there you know there's there's a huge amount of wildlife will fall down there. I, even this year, I got a call about um, some ducklings that were in a cattle grid, and Mama Duck was running about the top of the cattle grid, kind of freaking because she couldn't get to her babies. And of course, the ducklings can't fly. Yes. Um, so if you put in a, a, an escape ramp, it just needs to be a piece of wood, but wrap a wee bit of chicken wire or some sack cloth or something on it so that they can get a grip and if you put it in at a shallow angle at least any animals down there have got half a chance of getting themselves out mm. oh, I, I hate to see creatures know. Uh, you know, uh, you know uh, trapped like that and not able to get out it's shocking and you know at this time of the year you do see roadkill as well it's uh, awfully yeah. frustrating when you see that. Anyway this weather must be of great assistance to the hedgehogs and their little ones hot for them. <laughs> it's too hot for me. <laughs> I'm with you there. <laughs> I think I'm turning into a hedgehog. I can't wait the next time. It's nice and cool. <laughs> um, but no, um, water is so essential this time of year. Right. Because I'm also getting calls about hedgehogs being out during the day mm. and I think a lot of them are coming into me with heat stroke and really serious dehydration so I'm asking all the vets out there I'm a registered veterinary nurse as well as a, a licensed wildlife rehabber been specialising in wildlife for about 200 years at this mm. stage but you know I'm just asking if there's a hedgehog or any other animal brought into the vets um, 
fluids are essential. The vets all know how to give subcut fluids to hedgehogs, etc. But even if people know that they've got wildlife in and around their garden, just a shallow, heavy bowl full of water, the birds will appreciate it, the hedgehogs will get a good drink. And then mama needs to make that milk to be able to feed her hoglets as well. So if she's dehydrated, mm. she's not producing the milk that the hoglets need as well. So water 100%. There you go. It's great for them, but uh, great advice from Bev there. Shallow (laughs) container, plenty of water on it, fill it up each evening or whatever, leave it there for them and they get the essential uh, drinks that they need. Sure, none of us uh, could survive without the fluids or the hydration. Anyway, I'm with you all the way on (laughs) fill them in and fill them up campaign when it comes to the cattle grids. Check Bev out. Check Bev out. The hogs prickle and you'll find all the information you need there. You're fantastic. I say it again. I love your accent and I adore what you do. Thanks for joining me on the show, Bev. Oh, thanks a million. I appreciate it. You have a great day and stay out the sun. I will. Thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. Bev Truss from the Hogs Prickle. Isn't she just lovely? Just a word before we go the O'Connell's bingo is cancelled. It'll be on next week. No bingo in the O'Connell's club rooms. It's cancelled, but it will be back next week. Just let you know that before we finish today. Eddie Caffrey's on his way with the drive here on LMFM Radio. Have a lovely evening and do return to us tomorrow. one thirty. your Late Lunch is on the air. We'll see you then. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.